Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Sure, many of you have seen this scene, or many of you might have seen the movie Funny Farm. Chevy Chase is a writer, moves to a town called Redbud, which is a very rural area. He hires a bunch of movers to move him there. The movers on their way to Redbud get lost. These two city guys are trying to move all of Chevy Chase's stuff to this rural town. They stop and they ask this old man for directions. This is how the conversation goes. Hey, Mac, which way is it to Redbud? The old man responds, how'd you know my name was Mac? Well, I just guessed. Well, then, why don't you guess your way to Redbud? <laughs> they, they, they drive around for a little bit. They drive around for a little bit, and they come back, and the other driver tries to take a stab at Mac. And he, and he says, pardon me, sir, could you give us some assistance, please? We're looking for Dog Creek Road near the town of Redbud. Mac responds, well, if I was going to Dog Creek Road, I sure wouldn't start from here. Supposing you had to, the guy says. He says, well, then I would turn right where the old hollowed shed barn used to be. And then about five miles before the road dead ends, veer left, follow the railroad track straight into a town called Beaver Mills. Or you could just take the bridge right up the road at the fork in the road and save yourself a heap of time. And they drive off immediately. But as they're driving off, Max says, well, but I wouldn't take that way if I were you. It ends up being a, an old covered bridge. The bridge starts breaking and Chevy Chase's furniture and everything ends up in the river because they are so angry they toss it into the river. I'm not always good at giving directions. It's one thing when people ask directions to a place. It is a completely another thing when people are asking us directions to heaven or how they can be saved. That is exactly what these individuals are doing to Peter right now. And the question for each and every one of us, are you and I ready to give the appropriate directions to tell people how they can be saved from the guilt that they are experiencing? The main thrust of today's sermon, be ready to give lost people saving directions. Luke is writing to Theophilus and to other Christians 
who most likely have they themselves have repented. They've believed in the name of Jesus. So if we look at this passage and where it falls in our whole book of Acts here, we begin with Jesus giving them the mission. They then prepare for the mission. Then they receive the power for the mission. Then Peter actually does the mission. He proclaims the gospel. Now, here's the question. If people want to know what they can do, what do we tell them? So Luke gives us a template for what people need to do in order to be saved. It's not a work. This isn't a work, but it is what they need to do to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. Folks, it is our job. Our job is to call people to action. That's exactly what Peter does here. We have two directions, one explanation and one exhortation. So four keys. First, the two directions. The first direction We're going to give people directions on how to be saved. you got to tell them that they need to turn around. First word, Peter gives them, it's the only word in this point, repent. How many people have heard of the word, the town, the word, the town Wabush? Wabush in Canada. Has anyone ever visited Wabush, Canada? It's a town in a remote portion of Labrador, Canada, and it was completely isolated for a period of time. But then there was a road that was built that cut through the wilderness to reach it. Wabush now has one road leading into it, and therefore it has one road leading out of it. If someone would travel the unpaved road for six to eight hours to get into Wabush, there is only one way he or she could leave the town of Wabush. They need to turn around. The author goes on to say this. Each of us by birth are born into a town called sin. Just like Wabush, there's only one way out. It's a road built by God himself. But in order to take that road, you and I have to turn around. There is no other way out of town. Peter calls for a spiritual about face. What do we do? They recognize they're guilty. They know that they crucified Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, and now they are feeling the conviction of that guilt. They are pierced to the heart, and they want to know, well, what do we do? Peter says, turn around, repent. The Bible calls for repentance. John the Baptist called for repentance. Jesus called for repentance. Peter calls for repentance. What are we calling for? 
What does the modern church call for? If repentance and the call for repentance is so prolific in the Bible, then why are we not calling for that today in most modern gospel presentations? Without repentance, there is no conversion. Without repentance, there is no salvation. He calls them to change their direction spiritually and wholeheartedly. He calls them to a spiritual about face. We must recognize the fact that we are sinners must recognize the fact that we have lived not for God, but for ourselves. We are not okay. We are not good people. We are not on the right path. We must turn around. We must get out of town. That's what he's telling them to do. He goes, you are headed in the complete wrong direction. As a matter of fact, that was what the word originally was used for. If people realized that they were headed in the, the wrong direction, the wrong way, they needed to repent. They needed to turn around and go back. I know that word's a little harsh, isn't it? Repent, man, Pastor Mark, preaching on judgment, repentance, all these, these things that just, they don't make me feel so good. And we like to use words like mistakes because those make people feel better. Oh, it just feel bad about your mistakes. Mistakes are unintentional. I make mistakes all the time. Sin is intentional. It is an act of rebellion against God. And we cannot be afraid to call people to recognize that and to repent of that sin. Peter is calling for a change of heart. It is a whole reorientation of one's mind and direction in life. When, 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 I, when I became a Christian, when I realized the direction that I was headed in, that's exactly what I needed to decide. That, look, the way I'm going, I realize if I continue down this path, it is going to lead to my end. I needed to turn around. And repentance, yes, once we repent and believe, we are saved and nothing can change that. But repentance is an ongoing process in the Christian life. We sin all the time. And we need to repent of that sin. We need to, to affirm to God that we need His grace, that we need His love, that we need His forgiveness. We often want to lower the bar for Christianity. Peter didn't. Jesus didn't. We have to trust that God is going to bring those that he is calling to himself. Peter calls for this. It is a, an immediate action. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Guy tells a story. He says, it is interesting that before the iron curtain went down, that believers in anti-Christian communist country, countries were often known as repenters. Why? He says, well, they weren't just professors. They didn't just profess Jesus Christ. They weren't Christians by name. 
They were possessors, he says. They showed that they had the spirit of Christ by their supernaturally changed lives in an environment where it could be very, very costly. John MacArthur wrote that in 1993, Eastern European Christianity typically referred to new Christians as repenters. When someone came to Jesus Christ, fellow believers say that the new Christian has repented. And usually believers are given the opportunity to express and verbalize that repentance. In nearly every church service, he says, that I attended in the former Soviet Union, at least one new convert made a public confession of repentance. We call people to a change. We call people to become repenters. That's the first direction that we give them. The second one, tell them that they must trust in Jesus. I put must in both of these because both together are absolutely essential for conversion. He goes on, he says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. On April 14th, 1912, the Titanic struck an iceberg and was swallowed up in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Over 1,500 people perished as the ship, that not even God could sink, sank. Only about a third of the passengers lived to tell of that nightmare. Although that death toll was staggering, the greater tragedy was that many, many, many more people could have been rescued. The Titanic was certified to offer lifeboat space for 1,178 people. But of the 20 lifeboats on board, only few were filled to capacity. Several were less than half full. Boat 7, the first one launched, had room for 65, 28 boarded. Another boat could accommodate 40, only 12 boarded. In all, 711 passengers were rescued, while 40%, almost half, of the lifeboat spaces remained unfilled. They did a study. They said in the ensuing months, investigators sought to determine what happened. There were two reasons why the lifeboats weren't filled. Number one, the crew actually believed if you filled the lifeboats to capacity, they would bust on the way down and they wouldn't be able to hold the people. Number two, the people who were on the boat didn't think it was that serious. Repentance is realizing that the boat that you and I are on is sinking. It is making the move toward the lifeboat. The lifeboat is Jesus Christ. You can look at the lifeboat, 
You can say, yeah, it looks like a nice lifeboat. I like the paint on the lifeboat. I like the shape of the lifeboat. I like the fact that it's a lifeboat. But I'll tell you what, you got to get in the lifeboat in order to be saved from the sinking ship. That lifeboat is Jesus Christ. That's what we tell people. Put their faith in him and his work on the cross. That is it. That is what saves us. That is who saves us. We just sang about it. It is the work of Jesus Christ that secures our forgiveness and salvation for all eternity, nothing else and no one else. We call them to repentance and we call them to faith in Jesus Christ. Peter says, be baptized here. Now, we got to talk about that for a second, because if, if baptism is how people are saved and how people are forgiven and how people receive the Holy Spirit, then it, it's not going to make sense later on in the, God, in the book of Acts when Peter is talking to a crowd of individuals, he's giving them the gospel and all of a sudden, it says the Holy Spirit descends on them. Well, they weren't baptized, so what happened? They did this. Baptism is an outward representation of something that has taken place in our hearts. What's taken place in our hearts? We've repented and we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And baptism is a public event so that people can know that we are going to follow Christ, that we have trusted in him. And during this day and age, can you imagine, here these people crucified Jesus. And now Peter is telling them, you need to go and be baptized in his name. And people are going to look at them and say, you're going to be baptized in, in the name of Jesus, the one who was hung like a common criminal and died on a cross? That's faith. Baptism expresses that faith. And, and, and it, if we take that even further, our lives express our faith in Christ. If I profess faith in Christ, then I'm going to live a life that shows that faith that I'm trusting in Jesus, that I've turned away from myself, that I've turned away from this world that I am not trusting in myself to save me. I'm not trusting in my works. I'm not trusting in an institution. My faith is in Christ alone. The reality that we express is that we have repented of our sins and we are forgiven of our sins in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. It's not just a call to faith we, people say that all the time. Well, I have faith. Well, what do we have faith in? Who do you have faith in? The person or the object of our faith must be trustworthy and reliable, right? It, the, the person and the object of our faith must be able to do what we need him to do to save us from our sins, to forgive us of our sins. I can, I'll give you an example. What if I told you that I'm going to make this church financially secure for the next 20 years. 
I want you to have faith in me that I am going to do that. Are you excited? Yeah, right? We're not going to have a, a problem to worry about. We're going to be financially secure for the next 20 years. I want you to have faith in me that I'm going to do that. I got a plan. I'm going to tell you what my plan is. You know how I'm going to make us financially secure? American Idol, baby. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm going to go on American Idol, and I'm going to sing my way, our way to financial security. Have faith in me that I can do just that, right? Is that going to happen? No, you can have all the faith in the world. Your faith will be severely misplaced, and you will be severely disappointed. Doesn't it say in the Bible, we will not be what? Disappointed in Christ. I know whom I have believed, and he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him till that day. Christ saves us, Christ alone. That's who we put our faith in. And he's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to let you down. Jesus took the penalty of our sin. He took our sin, our shame, and our guilt upon himself. And as Peter will later on say, there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved. We call people to place their trust in Christ and in his work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, past, present, and future. Baptism is a public confession of that trust and of that repentance that we are going to turn around, not follow ourselves, but put our faith in Christ to give us eternal salvation. So then tell them the state that they will be in. Verses, the rest of 38 and 39. So Peter says, the result is for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. Lord H. Stephan wrote in the Christian century, how King Frederick II, an 18th century king of Prussia, was visiting a prison in Berlin. When visiting the prison, all the inmates tried to prove to him how they had been unjustly imprisoned. All except one. That one sat quietly in a corner while all the rest protested their innocence. Seeing him sitting there, oblivious to all the commotion, the king asked him what he was there for. Armed robbery, your honor. The king asked, were you guilty? Yes, sir, he answered. I entirely deserve my punishment. The king then gave the order to the guard, release this guilty man. I don't want him corrupting all of these innocent people. There are many, many people. We were in that same prison, weren't we? 
Many people sitting in a prison of unforgiveness, of guilt, of shame, and of sin. Christ has the keys to open that door. The result of repentance and faith is eternal forgiveness for all of our sins. Eternal forgiveness is the state in which we find ourselves in. The people who are listening to Peter are not proclaiming their innocence. They know that they are guilty. They know what they did. They stood by and aided in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What is absolutely amazing about this passage, when you think about the context of it, they are forgiven for that crucifixion by the act of the crucifixion itself. What a picture of God's grace to these individuals and to us because we know it is our sin that held Jesus Christ on that cross and it is our sin that is forgiven by that work. Tell them that. Tell them he offers them freedom. Tell them he offers them forgiveness. Tell them what God does with their sins. The Bible says so many different things, what God does with our sins, but there was one passage that I was reflecting on this week as I thought about this truth. One of those passages tells us that God tosses our sins into the deepest parts of the ocean. You know what one of the deepest parts of the ocean is? The deepest part? The Challenger Deep, Marianas Trench. You know how deep it is? Anyone know? Anyone know? Call it out, call it out. You got it. There you go, Steve. Good job. Seven miles deep. Seven miles deep. What, what is it that we are conveying if you and I have something and we toss it into the ocean? We're done with it. I'm not going to see that anymore. I'm parting with this. Now, you could try to go down and dig up your sins down there, but guess what happens if you try to go down that deep? Your bones dissolve. So I don't think you can go down there. And guess who's not digging up those sins? God's not digging up those sins either. Forgiveness, and he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. It's the state of a new life. It's the state of security. Folks, one, one thing that we, we need to convey to people and to ourselves is eternal security is offered by God through Jesus Christ. When he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit, that is the seal of salvation. Nobody is ever going to take that back, take him back. That means that you and I belong to him forever. Repentance plus faith in Christ leads to forgiveness and the blessing of the Holy Spirit to a new life and a new relationship and a new creation and a new purpose. 
The Spirit is given to us to help us and to aid us in the commitment to follow Christ and to continue in His name. And, and the call to do this, again, notice what He says, the promise is for anyone who repents and believes, as many as the Lord will do what? Call to himself. We are called into a relationship with God Almighty, one that is going to last for all eternity. It is a state of eternal relationship. It is not a religious rite. It is not a denomination we are called to. It's not a church we are called to, not a religion we are called to. It is a person that we are called to into a personal relationship with Him. We tell them that. It doesn't end there, though. One more final key, the exhortation. So tell them they must turn around. Tell them they must trust in Jesus. Tell them the state that they will be in and warn them not to stay where they are. Notice how he ends this. He doesn't end right there. He continues on, and Peter said, and with many other words, Peter testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Last week we had theology with, who was it? Fat Joe, right? Fat Joe gave us some good theology. I think you're going to be surprised this week. This week we have theology with Madonna. I know. Hold on tight. In her 2005 documentary, I'm Going to Tell You a Secret was the name, international pop star Madonna warned others. That's right. What did she warn others about? She warned others about the dangers and the evil of the material world. The physical world, the world of illusion that we think is real. That's what she said. Adding, adding this. We live for it. We are enslaved by it, and it will ultimately be our undoing. The former material girl turned protective mother and Jewish mystic also declared this, and I'm glad that you're sitting down. This is what she said, quote, people are going to go to hell if they do not turn from their wicked behavior, end of quote. Yeah, you know if Madonna is warning others about the world, it must be pretty bad. And if that was in 2005, imagine what it's like right now in 2024. Madonna, Madonna is in line with Peter. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> I mean, who knows what happened since then, right? But he, that, she, you can actually tell people, hey, Madonna said it. <laughs> Madonna says, look, you got to repent and you got to break from this world 
Peter says it too, almost in the same vein, which is kind of crazy. Oh, it's eerily similar to Peter's repent and be saved from this corrupted generation or else it will be your undoing. Why? Because God's judgment is coming on account of it. Folks, the call to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is a call to reject this world and accept God's. Like Peter, you and I need to have the same urgency and we need to have the same passion He solemnly testifies. He's exhorting them. He's pleading with them. Be saved. If not, it's going to be your undoing. Do we have that same urgency? Are Are we calling people to that? Are we standing up in this generation with grace? Yes. With wisdom, yes. With truth, yes. But with courage, passion, urgency? Peter was saying it thousands of years ago. What would he be saying now? And again, folks, if we're preaching it, you and I better be what? live in it too, right? If I'm preaching and saying, hey, look, this world is corrupt. This world is perverse. And because of our attachment to it, we need to get out of Dodge quick. If I'm preaching that, is my lifestyle reflecting that? Or am I, in, am I camouflaged? Do I look just like this world? Do I talk just like this world? Do I live just like this world? Because if I do, I don't think they're going to believe it. All three sections of Peter's sermon ends with a warning. He warned them in the beginning with the Joel prophecy. He warned them telling Jesus will one day put his enemies under his feet. And he warns them again here. And and it's in this part we sometimes tend to compromise with the gospel because we don't want to offend people. And, we, and we, we tell people, yeah, you can have Jesus. And guess what? You can take your sin and your life too. Bring it all together. It's going to be great. And we, we don't call them to turn away from themselves or call them to turn away from their sins and call them to reject this world and its system and where it's headed. That's what Peter does. He warns them. And notice he did this for a long time. And so we don't know, you can't say that Peter was a short sermon. He could have been there all night, just warning people over and over and over and over again. It says with with many other words, he spent a lot of time warning people about the dangers of staying where they are. You and I need to do the same. The first sermon, public sermon, Peter says the world is perverse. He tells them the truth. Why? Why does he tell them the truth? Because he 
He cares because he wants them to be saved. He wants them to experience forgiveness. He wants them to experience grace. He wants them to know God. And because of that, and because he was commissioned to that mission, he gives it to them straight. We know how bad this world is getting. It's getting worse by the second, isn't it? We're living in a society that questions the very nature in which God has created us and not only questions that nature, but we take that rebellion so far to change that nature. May God have mercy on us. It's not good. David Peterson says this, it remains true that people in every age need to take a stand against their generation in its rejection of Jesus and his message. They need to know about the consequences of unbelief and persisting in that unbelief and rebellion against God. He closes with this. Authentic gospel proclamation will challenge people, will, will, proclamation will challenge people to take this step, this action, and be saved from the approaching judgment of God by calling upon the name of Jesus for deliverance. What do we do? Where do we go from here? Tell them. Repent. Turn around. You're headed in the wrong direction, folks. Believe in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins on a cross. You'll experience His grace and forgiveness. You'll receive His Holy Spirit and enter into an eternal relationship with Him. Don't stay where you are. It will be your undoing. Father, Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for using sinful, flawed individuals like us to proclaim this wonderful, wonderful gospel to this world. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work among us in this church as individuals and as a body of believers. Lord, help us to have courage to go forth. Help us to love others. Help us to have compassion. But help us to proclaim your truth and not compromise or be ashamed of that or be afraid to do it. We can only do that through your strength, Lord. The strength of your Holy Spirit whom you've given us because you have called us to yourself. And for that, we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.